The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. From the very reassuring words of that marvelous hymn, marvelous song, to the words of Jesus in John chapter 14 and verses 1 to 6. John 14, 1 to 6 is our scripture reading for this morning. Our hope springs eternal in Christ of whom we confess. Love that one. In John 14, Jesus continues and says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. Father, we ask your anointing, your blessing on our pastor, teacher this morning as he points to you the way, the truth, and our life as we just sang, not life merely for the speck that is our life here on earth, but for the long line that stretches into infinity in eternity with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. There we are. Last Sunday I said that today's form of tolerance is intolerant of you. Tolerance is no longer defined as treating people with dignity and respect even though we disagree with them. No, today... The nonsensical definition is to agree with or celebrate certain viewpoints. Certain viewpoints that society demands and calls you a bigot if you happen to disagree. And one viewpoint that our society has no tolerance for is Christianity's exclusive claims. As Christians, we need to be tolerant of people who believe different than us. That is, we need to love them and treat them with dignity and respect. We need to humbly tell them why all the other religions are not the way, are not another way to God. But you will be called a religious bigot because tolerance today is not about showing respect. Now it's about bowing to the demands of society and what it tells you you must believe. 
R.C. Sproul tells the story when he was a college student, found this picture of young R.C. with old R.C. He tells the story when he was a college student where one of his teachers was openly hostile to the Christian faith and she took every opportunity to attack Christianity in her classroom. And he writes, One day she called on me in front of the class. She said, Mr. Sproul, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to God? I mumbled an answer. But she said, what was that? So I said, Yes, ma'am, I do believe that Jesus is the only way to God. She went into a rage that spilled out on me. She said, that is the most narrow-minded, arrogant, bigoted thing I've ever heard a student say. And the rest of the class glared at me as she heaped her scorn on me. After the class, as I was walking out the door, she stopped me and said, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be so hard on you, but I just can't understand how anybody could be that narrow-minded. I said to her, well, I hope you can understand my problem. I have been persuaded that Christ is the Son of God. I am a Christian. There's nothing more foundational to Christianity than the confession that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, if I believed that Jesus was the only way to God because he happened to be my way and the unspoken premise of my logic was that anything that R.C. Sproul believes must, by logical necessity, be the only true way to think, then I would agree with your assessment that that would be unspeakably arrogant, bigoted, and narrow-minded. But I hope you understand why I believe Jesus is the only way. It's because Jesus said that he was the only way. And if I deny that, I deny him. It's important that we understand Jesus to be making exclusive claims. Jesus is who these troubled disciples needed. He doesn't point them or us to some guru or to a variety of ways. No, he boldly, unapologetically points to himself. Not suggesting that he is a way among many or one truth among other options or a source for experiencing life. No, Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And when people really understand what Jesus said... There should be either a happy submission or a disgusted rejection of him. C.S. Lewis pointed out that Jesus did not intend to give people the option of simply saying that he was a great moral teacher. If people have a, a good impression of Jesus, yet they do not submit to him and worship him, then they simply do not understand who Jesus claimed to be. Lewis rightly concluded that a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. Either this man was and is 
the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. Jesus was very clear. He said things like, I am the bread of life, not a bread of life. He claimed to be the one and only satisfaction for the hunger of our souls. So seeking after other things to fill this hunger will only leave us hungry for more and moving on from one thing to the next without any lasting satisfaction. And with this in mind, Jesus says, I'm it. Nothing else will truly feed you because I am the bread. I'm what you crave. Jesus also said, I am the light of the world. You're in the dark looking for a way out. And there are a lot of blind people leading other blind people. But Jesus said, I'm the light. I'm the only one who can lead you out of the darkness into the the light of God's presence. He said, I am the door. All other doors are trap doors that lead to hell. There's only one door into the fold of God. Only one entry. You must come through me. I am the good shepherd who alone lays down his life for his sheep. No one else will give his life for you. I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus proved it. Because no one else has conquered death. He made this claim and then he backed it up by raising Lazarus from the grave and then ultimately even defeating his own death. Exclusive. No one else made these kinds of claims and then backed them up. Jesus is the way. He said this in the context of a group that is troubled. These troubled disciples who heard that Jesus was leaving and they couldn't follow. But then he says, and you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas replies, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Imagine after the service, someone coming up to you and saying, hey, I'll meet you there. You know the way, right? You'd say, um, where's there? And how can I know the way if I don't know where you're going? Today, we think in terms of directions. We think of, we think of when we think of directions, we think of technology today. Try asking your iPhone, hey Siri, give me directions. Her reply will be, directions to where? I also tried this with my Alexa and she said, I may have missed something. Try that again with a bit more detail. Thomas must have been thinking, did I miss something? I need a little more detail. So Jesus clarifies saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We need to know the destination if we're to know the way there. So Jesus tells them that the destination is God the Father. The destination is not something that you're going to find on a map, and the way is not a route. It's a relationship with Jesus 
who says, it's me. I'm the way. Your relationship with me is the way for you to come to the Father where I'm going. But we still need a bit more detail. Not only do we need to know the destination, we also need to know where we are. And today, with the wonders of smartphones and GPS, we take this for granted. No longer are the days of marital arguments suggesting that we pull into the gas station and reveal that I'm an idiot who has no idea where he is, hypothetically speaking. The way is the path between the starting point and an ending point. So spiritually speaking, it's important that we know where we are. Where is man's starting point? What is his condition in his search for God? And according to scripture, before knowing Jesus, who is the way, we are condemned. We are utterly and completely and hopelessly lost in our sin. So lost, we don't even care to read the map because we aren't even searching for God. And there's no way I'm going to humble myself and ask for help. So we all have the same starting point. For Paul tells us that all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're barred from God's holy presence. Our condition is so bad that there's nothing we can do to change it. In fact, it's beyond making some moral change or or turning over a new leaf. It's beyond change because any moral change doesn't change the past. Change doesn't remove our guilt. It doesn't pay the existing debt. An earthly judge is not going to set some murderer free if the guy promises from this point on that he's going to change. He's going to be nice now. The judge won't change the verdict because you helped an elderly lady across the street on your way to the courtroom. That may be nice, but it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant to the past crimes and your guilt. And when we look at God's law, we see that we're all guilty. We're all deserving of his just condemnation. And so, Christianity is offensive. It's offensive because it tells the truth about our starting point. And people don't like hearing that they're hopeless on their own. People don't like hearing that they're, they're so bad that the only way to save them was for God to send his sinless son to pay our death penalty on the cross. Our pride doesn't like the idea that we can't save ourselves, that we're lost and we actually need a savior. That we must confess and turn from our sins and seek his forgiving grace and submit ourselves to him. And there's something more. Something more to understanding Jesus as the way. It's his person. It's his person. It's his qualifications and our relationship to him. Being the way means that it takes the right person 
to get us in. There's a story of a man who served on a special government project. Not this man. This is a a sentry guard at the White House. And this man, in the story, one day they, they had a meeting at the White House in the Roosevelt Room, which is right across the hall from the Oval Office. And after the meeting, the State Department official in charge asked this man if he'd like to see the Oval Office. The man said there were two things that he recalled about his visit. The first was the awe that he felt at being in such a place. And the second was his realization that he could not possibly have entered the Oval Office unless he was taken there by someone authorized to bring him there. It's interesting that so many people just assume that they're going to go to heaven when they die. But if we would never presume to just just pop into the Oval Office on our own, then why would we think that we can enter into the glorious presence of Almighty God? Most people wouldn't even presume to go through the service entry at the mall. I think about that because we have a store there and I just go through there and I think, huh, I wonder if I can go to the Eugene Mall and just try it out. But most people wouldn't even think about going through the service entry, let alone to the Oval Office. So why do they presume that they just waltz into a place that's far more restricted than any high security location on earth? One that's guarded by mighty angels and governed by the perfect justice of God's holy law. Psalm 24 spoke of God's temple in Jerusalem. And so how much more true are these words concerning heaven? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. To come into the presence of God in heaven requires hands that have never sinned. And a heart that has never known an impure thought. And lips that have never spoken falsely. None of us qualify. But Jesus is the way. He's the only way. He's the only one that's authorized to bring us into heaven. And this is why Jesus came. This is why his sinless perfection is so important. This is why his atoning death is necessary. Why our guilt must be paid. Why we must be robed in his righteousness. The only way is through faith in the only one who is qualified and has the right credentials to bring us to heaven. Jesus is the way and Jesus is the truth. Jesus made exclusive claims concerning himself because he alone is the word who was with God in the beginning and who is God. No guru, no moral teacher is the eternal creator of all things who humbly took on flesh So that he might be our representative and thus pay the penalty of death for us. No one else. 
And Jesus can't be modest in what is exclusively true of him. Because if he pointed to anyone but himself, then he would deceive. He would lead people astray and ultimately pointing them to an eternal condemnation in hell. Ah, but what is truth? We live in a day where truth is is beyond relative. Where a popular phrase is, speak your truth. Which assumes that each person has their own custom truth. Each person can define what's true for them. Each person is their own truth or their own authority. And with this mindset, no one else including, and maybe especially Jesus, no one has the right to tell you any truth that trumps your truth. So, our society says that if your truth involves having sex with whoever you're attracted to, then your desires are truth. Your desires are authoritative. And if anyone tells you otherwise, then they don't accept your truth. And if they don't accept your truth, they don't accept. And they must hate you. Because you are your own definition of truth. Makes having a conversation really difficult. Never mind that God is our maker. And that he alone is truth. And has the right and has the authority and even the loving kindness to tell us what is true. And this truth which isn't true all began with a lie. A lie that questioned God who defines truth. Adam and Eve didn't just sin. No, they were deceived by the serpent who said, did God actually say You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. What did Satan's lie suggest? It suggested that God's commands are not good. That he's not true. That he's not trustworthy. That he's keeping something from us. That if we really want to be free and experience joy, we need to break his law. We need to defy his authority and be our own gods. And speak our own truth. And the lie has been the same throughout all of human history. So really a main point of man's ongoing problem is ignorance. A blindness to God's truth. And Paul explained this in Ephesians 4 saying, They are darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart. We need the truth. The gospel is good news. It's true news. And we must be enlightened by the revelation of God's truth. And the fullest expression of his truth comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the truth. He is the embodiment of God, the expression of God. He makes God known to see Jesus. To see and know Jesus is to see and know God. 
This is what John meant when in the first chapter he wrote, No one has ever seen God, but the only God, the the one who is at the Father's side, he, speaking of Jesus, he has made him known. All along, God has been revealing truth about himself and about his salvation. And it all pointed to, it all culminated in the word becoming flesh. Just as Jesus taught on the road to Emmaus, it all points to him. God's revelation comes into focus at the incarnation. D.A. Carson wrote, The test of whether or not Jews in Jesus' day and in John's day really knew God through the revelation that had already been disclosed, it all lay in their response to the supreme revelation from the Father, Jesus Christ himself. And this is why the writer to the Hebrews said that God had previously spoken in many ways through the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. It all comes into focus. God's revelation of truth is made clear in the coming of his son, Jesus. And just as the way is not a route on a map, so the truth is not merely, it's not merely religious knowledge. And we know this because Satan knows a lot of things. He knows more truth than any of us, but he doesn't know truth truly. For Jesus said of Satan, there is no truth in him. Like D.A. Carson said, the test is in our response to Jesus. Truth will always result in an appreciation and submission to Jesus. People can be, they can be highly educated and ignorant in the dark concerning a real relationship with Jesus. And if everything exists through Jesus and for Jesus, then a rejection of Jesus is ultimately a rejection of true truth. Unless knowledge results in obedience to the one who is the truth, there is only ignorance, there is only folly. A.W. Pink wrote, Truth is not found in a system of philosophy, but in a person. Christ is the truth. He reveals God and exposes man. In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So an obvious application to us is that we must be students of Jesus. Knowing that even though heaven and earth will pass away, his words will not. We must know Jesus who said that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is the life. God is the destination. And the way to him, the only way, is through the only person qualified to bring us there. And because of sin, our starting point is death. For the wages of sin is death. 
All of us begin under the power and curse of death. Apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. We are unable to do anything spiritually for our salvation. And in this state, life increasingly becomes a living death without satisfaction and without hope. But Jesus came so that we might have life and have it abundantly. John began his gospel saying, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus is the way. The one who gives us reconciliation and access to God. But we need more than that. Jesus is the truth. The one who reveals God to us. But we still need more. We need more because without the life, we would still be dead, morally corrupt, spiritually incapable, not able to follow in the way or even believe the revealed truth. We need Jesus to be the life. This is what he meant when he said to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We must be born again. We must be made alive spiritually so that so that we believe so that we're made willing and thus able to follow the way to follow jesus he is that source of life and it comes to us through his word through his effectual call like lazarus four days dead in the tomb and jesus cries out lazarus come out Likewise, all who are saved, all who are called by Jesus, come out. They come out to Jesus by the life-giving power of his gospel call. All who come to Jesus, seeing him as the only way of salvation, believing in him as the revelation of God's truth, all of these receive life in him. He is the way of truth that brings life. Jesus said, whoever hears my words and believes, him who sent me has eternal life. James Boyce said that the answer Jesus gives to Thomas is probably the most exclusive statement ever made by anyone. And this is true. Because his claims, they assume deity. And as C.S. Lewis argued, the only honest options available are to either reject Jesus or worship him as Savior and Lord. And just in case we missed the exclusivity of his claim, Jesus added, No one comes to the Father except through me. Leon Morris points out, Just how bold are these claims of Jesus? Jesus who is about to face the cross. Jesus about to face the cross says, I am the way. I am the way, said the one who would shortly hang impotent on a cross. I am the truth. When the lies of evil people were about to enjoy a spectacular triumph. I am the life. When within a matter of hours, his corpse would be placed in a tomb. 
How could Jesus be so bold? Only if he knew that he would rise from the grave and that his truth would be proclaimed in life-giving power around the globe. As the one who has resurrection life, Jesus can give eternal life to those under the power of death. As the one who is incarnate truth, Jesus can use your words and break through the lies and corrupt darkness of this world in order to speak and reveal the truth of the gospel. And as the only way to the Father, Jesus has the right to demand our faith and our exclusive devotion to him as Savior and Lord. People take offense. People take offense. But God wasn't required to do what he did. Mercy is not mercy if it's required. God is gracious to give us a way in sending his one and only son to be the only way. And the truth is, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. When Thomas asked the way to the Father, Jesus didn't give directions. He didn't point him down a path of good works or or spiritual disciplines. No, he directed him and us to himself. We are not saved by following a way or believing a truth or seeking after life. We are saved by Jesus. Jesus, who is the way, who is the truth and the life. So trust Jesus. He's the way. He'll lead you to the Father. He'll lead you in a life of love. He is the truth. He'll teach you and give you wisdom and free you from the foolishness of this world. He is the life. He's promised never-ending life and joy with Him. There's no better offer, no higher, no more lasting joy than knowing Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us so. That you would give us the joy of life in your Son. That you would open our eyes to the truth of who you are. That you would send your Son to make a way for us. We praise you for your glorious grace. Help us to live lives that are pleasing to you. Help us to be students of Jesus, not neglecting your word, taking delight in your word, and growing in this faith that is ours. May it, may this faith spill over, spill over in humble delight to those around us. Give us, Lord, give us the grace and patience to love, to love in this confused culture that's blinded by the lies of Satan. 
Give us compassion to lovingly, humbly show people the way. And we ask that you would use us to to enlighten their eyes. That they may see the truth of Jesus and have life. Have life in his name. And we pray in his great name. Amen.